0: Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast as we stare down the final 40 days of this contest. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and I am as happy as I always am to be joined by my podcast partner for life, Alex Rorty, our national political correspondent. Hello, Alex.
1: Kristen, hello. Can't believe there are less than six weeks remaining in this race. I'm filled with excitement and dread in equal amounts, I would say.
0: Dude, I want it to be over. I (laughs) am happy. I am happy to welcome back to our show, Jim Morrill, political reporter in North Carolina and a knower of a great many things. Jim, thank you for being with us again.
2: Thanks for inviting me. Good to be with you guys.
0: All right, so last week we dove into Florida as part of our March to Election Day, and this week we're going to North Carolina, everybody's favorite new swing state. And I say new, but North Carolina's politics have been shifting over many, many years. Democrats had outnumbered Republicans for decades, and over the course of this present century, more and more people are identifying as independents. Now, demographics would suggest that Democrats have some strength, but as always, it's widely dependent on turnout. At the presidential level, the race has been tight, tight, tight for the last four cycles. In 2008, Obama just nudged out McCain by a margin of less than one half of one percent. By 2016, Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton by nearly four percentage points. And looking back at that, some smart people believe the difference maker there was African-American turnout that did not materialize for the Democrat. And so having established the swinginess of this swing state, let's get started. And I'm going to you first, Alex. Give us the state of play. What do the polls say?
1: Well, the race is extremely close. And I think that that is bad news for Donald Trump with, with one caveat that I'll get to. I mean, look, the, the polling in this race has been consistent, I feel like, really ever since the summer. And I've been joking with Brian Murphy, who is the Washington correspondent for the North Carolina newspapers for McClatchy. Every time there's a poll, it just shows something like 47-46. Maybe Donald Trump's ahead by a point. Maybe Joe Biden's ahead by a point. But effectively, this race is a a dead heat. And I think that there is a little, probably a little bit of frustration for Democrats that it is close because in many other battleground states this year, you have seen a much larger shift from 2016. You had mentioned Donald Trump won this state by four points in 2016, and here it's tied. Meanwhile, Donald Trump won a state like Iowa by more than nine points right, in 2016. And if you look at a, a poll from The New York Times today, Joe Biden's actually leading in that state. So you're talking about a double digit shift in a state like that. And, and meanwhile, the move toward Democrats has been much more modest in North Carolina. Now, all, all that said, I think that's some frustration for Democrats. But the upside for them is they don't need to win North Carolina. Joe Biden does not need to win North Carolina to win the Electoral College. North Carolina is the kind of state that if Joe Biden wins, We're looking at a relatively comfortable victory and electoral college blowout for the former vice president. So there is there is some upside, but it's a fascinating state. And Jim could speak to this more, Kristen, because you have these three very distinct groups of voters, you have African-American voters, you have these college educated white voters, and then you have this more working class, evangelical white vote, which really is the one, as Jim would be able to explain better than I ever could, it's really keeping Donald Trump in the game in North Carolina.
0: Jim, jump in here, is, is Alex right about this? And, and are the polls consistent with what you see on the ground?
2: yeah, you know, I think they're they are very consistent. I mean, like you said, all the polls have been uh, you know showing a virtual tie point here, a point there. but uh, nobody really expects this race to come down to uh, more than two points on either either way. And you're right, you know, the urban areas of North Carolina are very blue now. Uh, I remember back when Mecklenburg County, which is where Charlotte is, used to, uh, even go for a Republican presidential candidate back uh, in two thousand, I think, and and before that. But then things have been shifting. You know the demographics have changed. The big urban counties like Mecklenburg County, where Charlotte is and Wake County, where Raleigh is and the Triangle in general, have been very blue. And at the same time, the rural areas and the suburban areas have been pretty, pretty Republican. Now, you know, one of the big issues down here this year is whether the suburban areas are going to go for Biden or for Trump. And some of the closer in suburban areas have been trending Democratic in the last couple of elections. Uh, some of the exurban counties, the outlying suburbs are, are still very red. So that may be the key to the whole thing right there.
0: This is not dissimilar, Alex, from what we see in other states when we're talking about the suburbs, right?
1: Right. I mean, this is the the whole key to Democrat strength in the 2018 midterms, right? Was that the there was this enormous suburban backlash to Donald Trump, and it is by and large not not entirely because I think Joe Biden and Democrats are focusing on more of a rural, exurban, white working class vote at the same time. But look, if Joe Biden wins, it will be in large part because he performed even better in the suburbs than than Hillary Clinton. And so it's 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 that combination tied to their hopes that the African-American vote will not only turn out at greater rates, but that will vote will support Joe Biden at roughly the same rate, or at least approaching the same rate that Barack Obama received in in 2008 and 2012, which was key, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, to him actually winning the state in 2008, the last time a Democratic presidential nominee did. And there is some question about that. You know, I mean, there is you know, we we've talked a lot on this show about the Hispanic vote and some of the underperformance from Joe Biden there, but you do see some of that in, in the polls in the African American vote, and there's like a similar there's a similar dynamic, arguably. Now it's it, that it's concentrated among men, and maybe particularly concentrated among young men, some of whom are, are more Bernie Sanders style liberals, and they're not exactly enthused. By Joe Biden. And then on the other hand, you have more moderate members of the community who are not especially liberal and don't like the direction of the Democratic Party, maybe don't consider themselves quote unquote woke. And you see that play out in the state. And, and this is one of the reasons that Joe Biden, I mean, in the last couple of weeks has actually started to roll out a fleet of advertisements Really directly targeting this community, trying to raise his support among black men. And, and it's, I think, one of the reasons that he's maybe not pulling as well in North Carolina as you would expect given the overall national shift that his support, the African American community still lags just a, just a little bit. Now it's a smaller lag than we see with the Hispanic community, but it, it's, it's definitely there.
0: Jim, do you see Biden trailing?
2: I don't think so. You know, just yesterday he released a couple ads targeted to African-Americans in the black community, and they coincided with his first visit to North Carolina since the primary. He was here in Charlotte, and it was very strange, you know, to see a presidential candidate at a venue where his audience consisted of about a dozen people. You know, they they were African-American businessmen and teachers and entrepreneurs, and that was his message. You know, he talked about... He talked about businesses and taxes and education. He kind of talked about the waterfront, but he talked about putting an end to systemic racism, too. And so I think he was, you know, he was greeted by the mayor, who's African-American, Vi Lyles, but also Chris Paul, uh, the NBA player from Oklahoma City Thunder, who was a Wake Forest star. So he's definitely making a play for that. My colleague, Tim Funka, who wrote a story um, about a week ago about the black vote in North Carolina, and found that there were like 170,000 fewer African Americans who voted in the 2016 election than the last Obama election in 2012. So wow. that's a big reason Hillary didn't carry North Carolina.
1: I kind of mentioned this to the, 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 the one of the reasons North Carolina is so fascinating to me because it has been it's somewhat put a lie to the idea that demography is destiny. Right. Because when Obama broke through in this state in 08, there was so much commentary that the state's changing demographics resembled the, the country's changing demographics and was going to create, if not a permanent majority or a longstanding majority for Democrats, or at least make it very difficult for, for Republicans to win. And Jim knows this better than I do immediately what happened after and starting in the year 2010 was this almost decade of GOP dominance up until the 2016 gubernatorial election. But Republicans won the state legislative seats. They won the gubernatorial election. And then Mitt Romney won the state in 2012 and and Donald Trump won it in 2016. And it's it's fascinating to me compared to its neighbors, too, because Virginia right just to the north has gone that way. It is a completely blue state. We don't even talk about Virginia on this show anymore because it's so blue. And then Further to the south with Georgia, the state whose demographics seemingly do resemble North Carolina's, you've seen similar progress for Democrats, where that is one of the, that is every bit as much a battleground state as North Carolina now. Joe Biden's campaign actually started running ads this week in, in Georgia. And so that one has, has also moved to the left a lot like Democrats had hoped, you know, say 10 years ago that they would hope that in an election, in the 2020 presidential election, Georgia be really competitive. But North Carolina hasn't. It just hasn't moved in, in that way. And, and Jim, I'm curious if you have any theories about that why why the state seems stubbornly Republican even as some of its neighbors move to the left.
2: Well, there's a couple things. One is uh, it's a really truly purple state. you know I mean there is as many democratic votes as there are Republican votes. It's still a largely rural state. You know, eighty of our hundred counties are considered rural. You know, and a lot of those are are Democratic registration wise, but these are people who voted for Jesse Helms back in the day and, and they vote for Republicans now. So you have that. And then in the legislature, it's like you said, in 2010, the Republicans took over the legislature and because they did, they've been drawing districts, you know, that favor them for the last 10 years. And they've drawn districts almost every 10, each of the last 10 years. Because of court decisions that have forced redrawings. So the districts are still sort of, uh, skewed in the Republican direction. And, and, uh, you know, Democrats are fighting hard this year for the few seats they need to pick up either the state house or the state senate. It's probably going to be uphill in both houses, frankly. But, you know, it's, it's really a divided state. And, and like, like you said earlier, you know, it's got a big evangelical base here and they're very conservative and very strong for Republicans. So. You got a lot of different dynamics at play here.
1: Well, it's a fascinating state politically. It really, it really is. In addition to being a, just a very lovely state overall, I would, I would say, one of my favorites to, to visit.
0: Only second to New Jersey, right? My home state.
1: You need to ask that to David Katniss. That would be the that would be the person to ask that to.
0: So th- this talk from Jim about these about all the redis- redistricting action just brings me back, Alex, to 2017 and 2018, where I feel like we talked to Colin Campbell every <laughs> week about these darn maps. I just it's giving me it's giving me flashbacks, and I'm not enjoying them. I, <laughs> you know, ha- help me understand, Jim. You know you've got. Your feet on the ground there. How are the campaigns for both Trump and Biden on the ground in the state? How did they see the state of the race right now? Who's scared? You know what tactics are shifting? Who thinks they have the upper hand right now?
2: Well, I think Republicans think they have the upper hand. Whichever party is thinks they have the upper hand, you always have to take that with a few grains of salt, right? But but they they feel very confident. You know they they're they're out there knocking on doors and you know. They give you numbers like five million doors or something like that. Trump's coming to Charlotte tonight. Trump will have been here five times in the past month to North Carolina, starting with the convention in Charlotte, August 24th. And and Pence has been here three times or so. The Trump kids have been here on and off regularly. So there's a real physical presence to the Trump campaign that you see that you don't see with the Biden campaign. Like I said, yesterday was Biden's first visit to North Carolina. No principals of the Biden campaign have been here in person. You know, Paris and uh, Jill Biden have had virtual events with selected groups of voters in, in different places. But very seriously, how many people really tune into that? And they don't get the same coverage that Trump gets when he's in uh, at an airport rally in Winston or Fayetteville or Charlotte or Raleigh. And so. You know, there's sort of a, a an imbalance in coverage just because of the way the campaigns are operating. I think so. Republicans are are pretty confident. Republicans, I think there was a story in the Post yesterday about how Republicans nationally are getting out there, knocking on doors, and doing the old-fashioned campaign. And and the Biden campaign, you know, keeps talking about the pandemic, and and that's great. And I felt safe at the Biden event yesterday because I was sitting in a little circle, a physical circle, uh, six feet away from anybody else, but we'll see. You know, We'll see if that still works for them.
1: I mean, that has been the, the source of at least an online left freak out over the last couple of weeks, this discrepancy between Republican campaigns who are out knocking on doors and, and Democratic campaigns, by and large, not doing so. You know, I've seen on just on Twitter today saying that if Joe Biden does manage to lose this election, that that will be seen as the, the equivalent of Hillary Clinton not going to Wisconsin, not sending out volunteers and staffers to, to knock on doors – and like I said, I mean, there was, there was almost a panic that you could feel ripple through the, at least the online left. I'm going to make a distinction between the online left and the broader left and the broader Democratic Party. But it's also not always that simple, right? I mean, there is a pandemic. There was a poll from Politico and Morning Consult today that showed huge increases in the percentage of people who say they don't want someone coming to their front door. Now, there are people who are doing it who say that they don't really find much resistance, but it has become a, a real argument within the party. I would say in their defense, they aren't running the sort of door knocking canvassing program. They are trying to still do phone banking and text messages. I would also say this is something that's been almost weirdly undercovered, I feel like. But they're running so many more ads than Donald Trump's campaign right now. They have so much more money And and TV advertisement, look, it it matters a lot still. I mean, let's let's not overcomplicate this. You know, Donald Trump's campaign mismanaged its finances. They squandered this huge financial edge. Joe Biden's campaign has raised an insane, truly insane amount of money. And because of that, they're able to run a much heavier ad campaign. And I think that, too, could move the needle in their favor.
2: To your point, Alex, according to Advertising Analytics, the candidates are spending more in North Carolina than in any state but Florida. And uh, a couple months ago, Trump had the big advantage in, in TV spending. But uh, just a, a few weeks ago, Biden you know, surpassed him and has continued to do that.
0: All right, guys, we're going to move on to the second and now the last segment of this show where you get to tell me and our listeners something that we don't already know. And Alex, I'm going to start with you.
1: I actually just wanted to relay an interesting conversation I had with a um, a Republican operative, we'll we'll say, who is working against Donald Trump this this election. And you know, my sort of theory of the case of this whole race has always been that there was a critical mass of voters who didn't like Donald Trump but were willing to tolerate him as long as the economy was okay and that their personal lives weren't affected by his behavior in the White House, and that that was that sort of bargain was shattered during the pandemic. And so, uh, basically, the theory states that. This is why Trump's numbers move so much. It was because of the pandemic, and there's no way to get back. And I just I want to relay this conversation because it was interesting. Because I, I I kind of as I usually do with sources, I like to test my hypotheses and see what they think. And the person kind of mirrored and said that's at least part of it. But he actually said that in his view, a lot of the the focus groups that they've done, the pandemic is not as much of a negative for Trump as you think. That it really isn't. The single source of the deal breaker. It might it plays a role, and for some voters, it's obviously very important. This person said it's just a really a broader feeling among again these voters who don't really like Donald Trump, but were willing until recently to support him. That he's just not fit for the job, and that's as much to do with his response to the protests, his press conferences during the pandemic, as it is his actual the administration's response to the coronavirus. And I just thought that that was interesting and maybe a more filling out a more sort of holistic picture of why donald trump is is in trouble right now
0: all right jim it's your turn give us something from your notebook
1: okay i don't know
2: if it's anything you all don't know already i don't know we don't
0: know very much
1: is <laughs> low jim
2: i've been trying to find out about you know whether the death of uh, justice ginsburg is really making a difference i mean anecdotally we've all read that it's really energizing the right or the left or, or both and um you know I've, I've talked to people on both sides you know and for some people one undecided voter felt, uh, you know, that she didn't want Trump to have nominated three justices or three make three appointments. And so that was going to push her a little bit toward Biden. You know, somebody else who was very conservative said that it energized her, not that not for Trump, because she was already very energized for Trump, but for Senator Tillis. You know, Senator Tillis has had a hard time with some conservative Republicans. As you know, he had a primary challenger for a while until the challenger dropped out. And so I think some conservatives have sort of a lingering doubt about him. But she said this pushes her over because she wants him there to vote for the president's choice.
1: I didn't
0: know that. So you win. You win the day. What was it, Alex?
1: Going to have a bonus one just because we didn't talk much about the Senate race. And I'd be curious what Jim makes this. I have heard continually from Republican Senate strategists in D.C. who say that if Donald Trump doesn't win North Carolina, Tom Tillis does not have a prayer of winning North Carolina, that he needs the president to win. He needs his biggest problem is, as Jim very accurately described, is closing the gap with a lot of these conservative Trump fans to make sure that they also vote for him. But he's not doing great winning over any swing voters. He's basically tied at the hip to the president right now, and this is a state that is largely seen if Democrats are able to win this state, they probably have won a Senate majority, the barest Senate majority if they also win the presidency and have a 50-50 split in the Senate, which of course then Kamala Harris could be the tie-breaking vote. So I mean, it's an enormously important race and an enormously important state in 2020, North Carolina is.
2: I think you're right. I think he's tied to the president and uh, for better or for worse. You know, uh, if he's not tied to him, then he loses a lot of Republican voters. If he is tied too tightly to him, then he loses a lot of independence. So, you know, so rock a hard place.
0: We always have fun with that race. <laughs> Don't we? we always have fun covering that race. It's always a good story. All right. I just want to thank Jim for joining us and Alex, you too, for every week being my sidekick here. Are you my sidekick or am I yours?
1: I think I'm your sidekick. Your I don't know, I think paychecks. maybe I'm
0: yours. I think maybe yeah, you, I'm yours.
1: <laughs> you literally signed my paycheck. I guess not literally, but you you have the you have the yeah. power to withhold my paychecks or stop I, my paychecks if you wanted to, Can so. we stop
0: talking about that? This? this is a horrible thing to talk about. All right, let me get back to my thank yous. Thank you to Jeremy Sheeler and to our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and thank you to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. And for the record, I am Alex's sidekick. Talk to you (laughs) next week.